Now I approach everything with that thought of the story. What, what is the story? How am I connecting to this? What is it going to tell me about itself? What is the story of this clay? You know, what, what does it want to say? And I think that is the, the way, that's an artist. That is what an artist is. Welcome to the Crystal Guardian Podcast. My name is Caressa, and this is a show on which I share about my life as a healer and crystal artist. Here, we meet at the crossroads of creativity and consciousness, art and spirituality, giving a voice to the visionaries of today. Hi, my loves. On today's podcast episode, I'm interviewing Linnea, who has a design studio with her partner, Peter. And Peter is currently hard at work transforming their beautiful house, which was first created. They are from the US. It was first created by Finnish settlers. There's a lot of restoration going on as we are recording as well. Background sounds can be a little chaotic, but I promise you the story is amazing. So Yeah, just a little FYI before we hop into the episode. Hello, hello, everyone. Today I have with me for another visionary visit, beautiful Linnea Gitz, and she is speaking for her and her partner, Peter Dunham. Together they are an artist duo uh, traveling or working through the field or the landscape of design, and they are creating amazing tarot decks, also I believe oracle decks, and even normal card decks. They are doing it all, making beautiful designs. They are the creators of the very, very first tarot deck that I have ever bought for myself and used, so it feels extra special to me. Linnea, welcome to the podcast. Um, How are you doing today? Good, it's so nice to be here with you. I'm really enjoying our meeting. Yay, me too. It's been it's been a little a little while in the making, but I'm so happy that we're finally here and we got to chat. I um, yeah, we were just chatting a little bit before, and everything that you were saying, I was like, no, wait, stop! I want to hit record, get all the goods <laughs> on <laughs> on the recording because I loved it so much. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about how you got here? I was just sharing. I read the. Yeah. Um, uh, the information that you shared in your in the booklet of the tarot deck that I had, and I love the story of kind of how you got into creating these decks. Yeah, we started. Well, we started with playing cards. I mean, actually, Peter and I both are artists. Um, he actually went to school for art. He has an MFA um, in fine art, and we met after. We graduated college in Chicago, in the city, downtown. I ended up going through an apprenticeship with him at his art studio. And it was the first time I'd always wanted to be an artist, but my parents, though they were supportive of art, they really wanted me to enter into some field where I could immediately start making money (laughs) when I graduated. So um, (laughs) they were not happy about art. So in college, I did not um, get to study art, even though I was so envious of all the art students that I would see going across campus. I wanted to be in that studio making 
you know, working with clay, working with paint. So when I graduated, I ran into Peter at a art opening. And um, because I, I was going to, I still, I was so involved in it just as um, a, a fan in many ways. You know, I was just so, that was where my soul felt at home. So I met mm. Peter and, but uh, at the same time, I could never visualize in my own head how you would go about being an artist. It seemed so almost silly in a way to me because it's it was so romantic sounding, almost too fantasy-ish. Um, there was a practical element to it that I felt I didn't have a grip on. I'd go to these shows and the art was just there on the wall and it was so amazing and mysterious and fantastic, but I had no idea what does it mean to make art, you know? When I ran, when I met Peter and I actually got to see a real artist studio, the practicalities of the day-to-day -day of an art studio was really enlightening. So fantastic to have that kind of hands-on experience of even the mundane of, you know, cleaning brushes or just keeping a studio together was just, for me, the practical side of myself, really, it, it just sang when I, I got to be in that studio and I was like, oh, this is, this is wonderful. This is how you create magic in the world, but it's created in a very practical, everyday way. That in and of itself was so empowering and so wonderful to see. So it captured me. And then Peter captured me. <laughs> and we um, ended up, yeah, creating work together. And um, Peter um, was in galleries and uh, I still, to this day, I couldn't, I couldn't take that leap across that line where I considered myself an artist. I had a very strong sense of things needed to be useful or practical. I felt like I drifted more into the design realm and had the aesthetic of the art, but my need for useful, practical things sort of, I couldn't go over into pure art and I admire it and Peter goes into it and it's an incredible gift. But for me, I just couldn't take that last step, it seemed, without it attached to something useful, something you can use, you know? Mm. And um, so as we were moving through that sort of time in our life, Peter was showing artwork and I was sort of developing more of a design background and portfolio. And I started working with interior designers. I was making lamps, some furniture, and then moved into graphic design and sort of all through apprenticeships, which were amazing. It was great to experience. I think the best way to learn is to do. And, you know, I didn't go to school for art or for design. So there are elements to it that there's a language and a structure that I didn't get by going through a formal degree training. But um, by working with people who inspired me, I got a different side of it that seemed so internal. It was all internalized in a way that the classroom environment wouldn't do for me. I think, you know, everybody's different, but um, having been able to go into these fields with great mentors, I was able to, they nurtured me. It was a, a really beautiful way to find what it was that I really could do well. Yeah, one of the great 
uh, one of the great things I think as well about creating art is, you know, you don't have to go to school for it to be able to become an amazing uh, artist. You know, it's it's such a like, yes, school can really help, but also oh, yeah. it's not 100% necessary. And I think what you're sharing, you know, having great mentors yeah. might even be more valuable than having your art teachers in, in, in your school. So I love I love hearing that. What kind of artworks was uh, Peter making? I, Peter made a lot of, um, he was, he did, used a lot of oil pastels and the work that I first saw that he was making was very um, abstract. And then he got into a more, he started then using a collage element. I wish I had, I thought I had one of his paintings down here. He moved into a more collage mixed with painting element um, that was beautiful. And for Peter, it sort of came to an end because he couldn't really stand the gallery system. It was very uh, structured and business-like, and it it was um, restrictive. And he found that he wanted to explore things other than what was getting popular in what he was doing, and the gallery owners were not comfortable with that. They wanted him to keep making what was selling, basically. And it so yeah. he just really didn't want, he didn't enjoy that experience, so he left it. And uh, and he kind of left making art, too, for, he moved into sculpture, and then he, he sort of left the field of art for furniture and design, along with me. I, we, we both were sort of moving in that way. His was more that he just wanted the, the art to be private. He's He stopped wanting to share it on that level. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, he stopped exploring that. He's getting back into art, which is funny because <laughs> um, it's it's taken him a while. But everybody, you know, has their own pace of finding what they want to do. And things come and go in the world and in your life. And it's hard to hold on to something and try and make it your everything. That, you know, things just, you have to sort of let, you have to hold on to the world loosely. It'll bring you so much more. And I think when people mm. hold too tight... They, they miss all sorts of things, that there's a, an impatience to the way we create in the world that is, it, it's hard on your creativity. And your creativity really wants to sit and dream for a while. And maybe it's a long while. <laughs> so, mm, yeah, it takes, yeah. You, you know, we've, we've, we've tried to listen to that. And it's, it's, and it's not easy because you sort of fall out of a lot of people's expectations which can be very difficult. You know, at a certain point in our life, everybody had a career that was on a certain trajectory and we were still sort of exploring. And it, was, it wasn't exactly what people felt, com- a lot of people did not feel comfortable with that, but you know, the people that, that matter stay with you in your life. And uh, yeah, it, it, was, it was fun to just be able to slowly make our way to what it is we wanted to do. And, you know, who knows? It, it wasn't yeah, like... Yeah, was, so how... Yeah, so then we, um, at, at oh, one sorry, point, continue. we started um, our own design studio. We were making playing... We started it with a playing card deck because we... I had done a, a job for a big tequila company, a playing card deck for them. And of those, of that job, there were four different design directions. And there was one they didn't choose that I really loved the look of it. And we just thought, oh, let's go with it. So at that time, we, <laughs> we, um, we put it on Kickstarter and Kickstarter was just a year old. 
year or two years old. And um, we didn't really know a whole lot about it. And But a friend of ours had worked for a guy who had just done one of the most popular t- Kickstarters. It was uh, Scott Wilson. A friend of ours worked for him, and she told us about his success. And I, I was just so floored by it. And I thought, well, my gosh, here's, here's a cool way to get the word out about our company, and we could actually get this little playing card deck made. And then we didn't do it. <laughs> Because it got really intimidating. <laughs> the thought of doing that was intimidating. And at the same time, we were approached by a really prestigious uh, retailer, Design Within Reach. They wanted these wooden animal sets that we had made for their holiday catalog. And we sort of refocused everything into making those sets for them and that catalog. And um, that was wonderful and terrible at the same time because it was... Working with a large retailer like that, this our very small design studio was not prepared to really deal with that kind of um, volume of product, and um, it, it almost it almost sunk our studio <laughs> trying to get that yeah, stuff out. Yeah. So when that was finished, we we were so we didn't know how we were going to even pay the rent because it was it was just this crazy thing we had gone through. I I was at my sister's in LA and she's an editor, a video editor. She went to work and I was feeling like a complete loser. (laughs) And I thought, well, you know what? I think I'm just going to launch this playing card deck here. Um, Why not? And, um, And we launched it. I just like let it go. And immediately it started getting backing. And, um, and yeah, so it, it all sort of, mm. we went through this, uh, I think it was three years making these this playing card series, a six deck series. While we were doing that, we, um, we were really looking at all this imagery of vintage playing card decks. And um, we kept seeing the tarot. The tarot would pop up everywhere. Old cards that were so beautiful. And we were just so attracted to that imagery. And we really really wanted to do a tarot, but it wasn't something that was really, I mean, the tarot had a big moment in the early part of the 19th century or 20th century. Then it came back again in the 60s and 70s. -hmm. And then it sort of went under. And then um, again in the mid 80s, it hit the new age realm. And then it kind of went, it receded again. It, It was, it's like always been there, but its popularity has, you know, come and gone or riot, risen and fallen. And so at the time that we were considering doing the tarot, it really wasn't on anybody's radar. And it was sort of snickered at when we would, we kind of talked to our friends that we were going to do that and they kind of laughed. And But we, we just felt like, you know, this is actually a place to have a conversation. Whereas playing cards were fun to do the, the imagery for, the tarot would converse with you. And that really... The, the, the thought of a narrative within, a, within this object was so exciting. We didn't care if was anybody... It something, was it something that you were using yourself as well? Or, you know, because the tarot is a super in-depth thing. So it's, you know, kind of like that step of, I want to do a tarot to actually making it. If you come from not knowing it at all, I think is a really interesting kind of uh, rabbit hole almost that you're diving into. Oh, Yeah. But actually kind of cool because you are mm. you are approaching it as you are in service to the content. 
you aren't the master of the content, you're in service to it, which is often how artists were employed for the tarot back in the day in, you know, like the early centuries. So that kind of, I think, was a way of not bringing so much of our ego into it and searching for Mm. a visual direction that would be inclusive and not so stylistically personal. We just wanted to create something that would be, you know, easy to approach, beautiful to look at, and in service of the material it um, it was being created for. That sounds so beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, what a what an amazing way to to step into it. And how how did you start? Did you uh, kind of base things off of the original writer set, or how did that kind of go? Yeah, well, not knowing anything about the tarot, of course, when you start to investigate and research it, the Rider Waite Smith deck is the one that everybody. It's the easiest thing to find and. And it had the most written, and it really is the standard reading tarot for pretty much everybody, I think. And, you know, I didn't, I wasn't interested in starting a cult. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I didn't have a philosophy behind me of what this object should be saying. Having been through it now, um, now when we approach the tarot, we're coming in a different way towards it. But at that point, really, I just wanted what is the most used format for this object? And it was the Rider Waite Smith. Yeah. How many years ago is this? It was in 2014, 2013, when we started to really look into it. So the research on it was 2013, 2014, and then the artwork was starting to take shape in 2015. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, uh, it's been a while, but at the same time, not even that's that long. No, for, I you know, if you look at your website for all the decks that you have created, that is actually not that long of a time. Yeah, you guys didn't sit still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's part of our background because we worked um, for quite a while in design and marketing, advertising, we would do artwork for those, for campaigns. And they had very, very, uh, you couldn't change deadlines. So we, we learned to work <laughs> at a certain pace and you learn to move through things fairly quickly. You can't, you know, when I look back at the Pagan Tarot, there are maybe a handful of cards where I wish I could redo them and maybe someday I will. <laughs> but I didn't have the time. I, I didn't want to create this. I didn't want to fuss over it too much. I wanted it to just come out and, and, you know, most, it, it, mostly the editing sort of happened on some of them later when I had to get them into uh, card format. We would bring them into Photoshop, the, the paintings. And, um, and that in itself was kind of a strange process because the paintings were created and then I would scan them and bring it in and be like, oh, shoot. I made the ground too long. And that thing that I really want to see is now off the canvas when I put it on the card. I have to bring it closer. And so I'd have to cut that out and paste it in. So it was this kind <laughs> of, um, the you know, the traditional oil painting techniques combined with using the, the Photoshop tools to finalize many paintings. There were oftentimes hand gestures that would be painted and Peter would say, I don't, I don't really care for what that hand gesture is saying. 
I wasn't really thinking about it quite like that. And he would say, I, I want to see him doing this, or he'd point, you know, create an expression. And I'd have to cut the hand off in Photoshop, paint another hand, and then paste it in. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so uh, I think when people, when we've talked to people about these paintings, I think they think they're giant heroic paintings behind me of these tarot cards, and they're not. They're like, I'm going to grab one of the, hold on. So this is the uh, King of Pentacles, and he originally had this huge landscape, which I'm sorry, Carissa, oh, it's, it's cool. kind of fallen all over the place. This, this uh, painting fell off. Oh, but it's it's broad. Yes, it's uh, it's like almost three feet. And you can see, I should get him out wow. of here. Like in the painting, he has all these clouds behind him and this uh, castle goes further. Oops, the castle goes further. And when he we scanned him in, right. obviously the, the, the stuff that was happening over here now could not fit on this card. I mean, I was just having... When I started these, I was just creating these big, these big landscapes. And, um, and so when I got him into the card, uh, we were both like, well, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and I'd already done about yeah. 10 of those and not really um, oh, wow. realizing <gasps> that I was not creating something that could be made into a, a three and a half inch by five inch format canvas. So exactly. things had to be cut away from him. And that's where how we did that in Photoshop. But I, I still, I would love to, um, I'd love to do something with those big paintings. But as I moved along, I was like, oh, okay, so here's how they have to be created. I have to start. So I would tape off. Sorry if this is kind of boring, but it, it's sometimes it's kind of fun to know how no, the no, stuff no, no, is no. made. So I would just absolutely tape off uh, areas of the paper that I was going to be on that now gave me very definite three and a half by five inch style, like that kind of canvas. So I wouldn't paint past it because I was, no matter how hard I tried, if I didn't contain my painting, I just kept painting past. And then that, that... Is it because you got really, really lost into the... Totally. Also in the symbolism of it all and just yeah. kind of the details and... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was just so much fun. And there were things that were being, that wanted to be said. So yeah, mm -hmm. that there's a lot that was lost when we cut them up. But um, so we'll, we'll maybe try and find another format for maybe a book would be kind of cool to see the, the large paintings. But, um, but yeah, so that was sort of the process. And it was so immersive when I was doing it. Um, I think we had... I was painting for like a year, a year straight. And um, like every day, it was my job. I would go in there and I mean, I didn't have a choice. We were on the one thing about Kickstarter, you know, we had given ourselves a year to make the whole deck. And it was kind of silly. I mean, it really should have been like two years, but I, there was nothing I could do in that year. I was just painting every day and painting at a pace that was insane. And then, you know, every time I would scan a painting into the computer, I would be so worried. It was so anxiety ridden because I'd scan it in hoping it would fit and then just dreading Peter coming in and saying, oh, that sword is all wrong. 
<laughs> they would never have a sword like that. Don't, and no, he shouldn't. Uh, and it happened every time. So yeah, yeah, I'd have to go back and paint a different sword. And yeah, it was, it was kind of, that was a real labor of love getting that whole deck finished in that time. There were a couple decks. There was a, there's a, um, there were a couple of cards when it got to the pips that we just needed to, I was just like, oh my God, I, we had, we had to be finished in a month. And I still had, I think, you know, six or seven pips out there um, that had to be painted. And it was, it was just a lot of uh, like one card I had collaged in this beautiful uh, vine from a ancient manuscript. I'd put it into Photoshop on top of a painting I had done. I was like, yeah, that's what I want to see. And I totally forgot that I put it in there and we were just whipping the files together and it went off to print like that. And I never painted the vine myself. It was just like, that was it. And it was funny because I thought, well, <laughs> all right, you know, it wanted to be in there. Now it's having another life in a tarot card. <laughs> I think it's the, it's the Ten of Swords. Oh, um, that's so funny. Yeah, but, you know, and things like that happen when you're making these decks, the um, Supra deck when we were working on it, I mm. kept telling Peter, I would say, oh, you know, what do you think that Freud would think? And he said, it's not Freud, it's Jung. And I said, oh yeah, right, Jung, Jung, right, Carl Jung. And Freud and Jung had a very contentious relationship. Freud was always worried that Jung was going to become more prominent than him. He wanted Jung as a, an apprentice and a, he wanted Jung to think of him as a master. But at a certain point, Jung and him separated in how they felt about the world of dreams and the unconscious. And it, it really bothered Freud. And when I was, when we were working on Supra, I felt like Freud was just coming into our studio every day, demanding that we not do Jung, but do something with him. <laughs> And so I kept mistakenly saying Freud. It was like he was making me say it and not say Carl Jung. But um, so weird things like that sort of kind of fell, yeah. sort of came through us. Your inspiration, what were the main sources? Because I'm hearing a lot of kind of like ancient manuscripts and supra with uh, Freud and Jung. Like what, what are the main things where you... Does it start with an inspiration or you see something and that kind of just catapults in this whole creation? It does. I think, you know, like every artist, you have your um, basic inspirations. Nature is a big inspiration for us, the primary one. And then with other artists, you know, we were really attracted to art of Elbrecht Durer. I always maul his name, but... Um, Durer was a big, the art of the Renaissance was a time when it was, you know, a lot of dealing with humanity at a very interesting crossroad. And it was very approachable. And yet at the same time, it was dealing with these very tension-filled experiences that were happening at that time that are still happening. And it was artwork that everybody could walk into and see themselves in, but it was dealing with topics that were very deep and lasting, and they still haven't been worked out. I think we're still moving, we are still moving through them, very much so. So when we went to create Pagan, we felt that using that kind of imagery would be a way to still allow people to approach it, a, a very large amount of people, 
and and find themselves in it. And then when you're comfortable and you're not so forced into a very, um, you know, if it was a very stylistic look, that's a cool look. And I love decks like that, but they might not be decks I use every day because they are so particular in how they are created that they are, they take a little time to work through and connect to. So we just wanted one of those Renaissance painting was an easy visual for people to enter into. Now it's not mm. it's not representative of um, indigenous and uh, black and I mean there's a lot of cultures we didn't feel we had the right to paint or or really you know I don't know what the right word is because people you know we have a lot of black tarot readers that use our deck. And have come up and said, you know, well, why wouldn't, why don't you create a more inclusive looking deck, <laughs> you know, that represents mm. more people. But um, for us, it was just, well, I don't feel like I have the right to paint that deck. And there is, there are, the, you know, black artists that are creating decks that are so beautiful, that would be great to work, to combine that deck with our deck. That would be the way I would want to see a more representational expression rather than my trying yeah. to be the everything creator who can't be the everything creator. I, I, I don't have that uh, vocabulary that um, those artists would have, you know? And I think that's the most important thing to, you know, of course I could create, I would love to paint a black deck. That would be so much fun and so beautiful. And that culture is just so incredibly beautiful that there's so much there. But I just, you know, mm. why would I when there's so many talented black artists that can easily approach that, that with so much more depth? And that's what we say when people want that. We're like, we'll give them a list of tarots that, you know, we would love for them to use with ours. And that's the way to combine it. That's the way to get that feeling. So, yeah, I mean, uh, and, and there's a lot of that within the pagan theme, you know, the the wearing of animal skins as shamanic practice and not as fashion, the connecting to the natural world in a way that is deep and somatic instead of decorative, the animacy in stones, I feel, and you know this, working with crystals. These, mm -hmm. um, these things in the world have a life of their own. And so when we were doing a lot of the pips, we felt, well, why put people in here when a stone could say it even better or, yeah. you know, a tree? So that was where, you know, we felt we were entering into a broader language by sort yeah. of moving out of the people-based decks. What has been your your favorite kind of most layered design or or card that you have created? Can you describe that? You know, I love I love Supra. You know, I've I've always loved Peter's artwork and his draftsmanship. The way he's able to, I I, I can't draw the way he draws. It, it's just incredible. It was so much fun to see those compositions come to life. There were cards that he drew, the, the um, impasse, um, was this viney, intense, complicated drawing. And, and it was so beautiful and yet so simple. It was, it was the best of abstract expressionism in a way, just something complex in a very organic way 
that that your body understood because your body is made up of that complex organic structure mm. that works so beautifully and it isn't forced. So there were a lot of those kind of drawings in Supra that that I just that resonated so deeply with me. He did such a beautiful job of bringing that to life. So Supra is a, a, a sort of special deck for me. And I, I love Carl Jung and his philosophy. So um, that one really carried a lot of meaning for us. Not that, not that the others yeah. haven't. And it was really fun exploring Materia Prima be, with the table of elements because yeah. <laughs> it was so crazy on the one hand, but it felt so natural that, of course, after we felt like pagan was the the other worlds pagan other worlds was the deck that dealt with our humanity and then yeah. supra dealt with our minds and our energy and materia prima takes all of that and brings it, it brings the 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 world into it the the things in the world that make us that created us these elements these um very alive elements crystals you know minerals this world is the magic dust. It's, it's the everyday dust that was in the art studio that I first went into that made the magic. So we felt like those three together really complemented each other and helped you sort of, they could, they could be a lot of fun in a conversation together. <laughs> and how did you personally kind of develop through doing those decks? Because when I hear you speak about you before creating the decks, I hear someone totally different than when I hear you speak now and, and kind of how you relate to the world and everything around you. And how was that process? And how did the creating of the cards kind of played its part? You know, it's really been, it's been great to have projects in front of us that have really asked us to look closely at the world we're in. And take us into a spiritual realm constantly, a daily. That was not part of my life before. Not that I wasn't a spiritual person, but um, I was really, Peter was making art. So Peter actually did have his foot in that world, but I didn't. I was mostly concerned with the superficial, I guess you could say, the, how something looked, where the content of it was second. Or, or if there was content to it, mm -hmm. you know. But with this, with these, with the tarot content, narrative, story, which is amazing, came into the creative process. And so through that, now I approach everything with that thought of the story. What, what is the story? How am I connecting to this? What is it going to tell me about itself? What is the story of this clay? You know, what, what does it want to say? And I think that is the, the way, that's an artist. That is what an artist is. And you know that through yeah. what you're Stepping working Stepping into with. the world with curiosity. Completely. Curiosity yeah. and a respect for everything. You know, there's, it's definitely important to, to know how to use the materials you're using to create things, but to also feel something from those materials. So it's not just tools, though they are there for that, but they are, you know, these th the, the world we live in is a conversation. It needs a give and take. It needs to be thanked. It needs reciprocity. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I can so relate to that. Reciprocity is also something that's, it's a word that that kind of passes my mind a lot as I'm working with the crystals as well, because that's really, it's, you know, it's a, it's a collaboration. You have to give the crystals something for them to give you something. And when you work in that kind of that reverence for your material, I feel that's where the magic happens. And that's also something that I wanted to ask you because your your decks, the details, the material, the, you know, the seal on the box and, you know, just everything, it's, it just screams loving attention, you know, it's just, it's infused with a kind of a, a surrender to what you're making. That's really how it feels for me to, to use the deck and to use the cards and yeah, how, can you just kind of talk, speak on, on that yeah, I think that comes from our, that attention to detail comes from our past with um, product design and also the, the very recent past uh, before, right before the tarot with the playing cards. The playing cards were uh, for, a, mostly it was a younger male audience, but they were very exacting on what they wanted from that object. And they they really schooled us in all the details of what, that object should have on it and include. And then all those young dudes that collected the playing card decks that we thought, oh, well, we'll, we'll good. we thought we were gonna be like saying, goodbye guys, we're going off to the tarot. But when we got to the tarot, they were like, hey, no, we're still here. <laughs> we want your tarot, but here's what we wanna see. So yeah, they were, they all, it was, it was a lot of fun, but it's, it's a lot of the um, attention to detail was, was brought through the design practice that we were working within. We worked with um, companies like Herman Miller and Hayworth, and these are design companies that have a very high attention to detail and quality on their products. With those companies, we mostly were doing graphics for their studios, and every part of that process was important. And um, so it was a structure that we learned to work within. And that was great because, you know, one thing about making art and walking into a studio and having a big blank canvas, there's something exciting about that, but there's also something kind of terrifying for me. And so design brought a structure with it that was very solid. It was a scaffolding for any idea I wanted. I had a very strong, scaffolding and structure around it, which made it easier. I know that sounds odd, but it made it easier to create within. You know, having parameters for here's what the tarot needs to say. Here is the format, the canvas size, all sorts of things that are part of a design brief that were there ahead of my creating artwork were very, very helpful in letting a lot of that artwork just flow through. I wasn't creating something from nothing, you know? It was yeah. it was yeah. an object that had been in the world that I was just re-examining and uh, reinterpreting. Yeah, yeah, exactly. How are you using the cards yourself now? I was, and then I guess we can talk about this just a little. In 2017, I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, breast cancer, and I got a little spooked using the cards because they were really good. They were really intuitive. And, and sometimes I'd ask them difficult questions and they'd come back with these answers that I was like, I don't like that. And it would actually happen. 
it, it sort of, I sort of got a little spooked by um, that. And it's taken me a while to sort of get back into that process. So Peter loves mm. to pull a card every day. I still haven't yet gotten back to that. But I love, I did love it when I was pulling them. And I found them to be really illuminating. It was, it was a lot of fun, a little scary. And it took you into some uncomfortable places that really needed to be looked at. Mm. A little bit ahead of them sometimes. That was kind of interesting. When I was doing it, I, I enjoyed it a lot, but not, not right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hear you. Yeah, it's one of the funny things about the tarot, right? They can really show us um, mm -hmm. uh, very blatantly sometimes, like, oh, hey, yeah. this is uh, this is going to happen, or this is something you have to look at. For me as well, sometimes I have certain questions, and then I first ask myself, like, okay, but do I really want to know the answer to this, or do I just want to surrender to whatever is going to unfold? And just maybe, you know, there's kind of like bliss in being naive sometimes as well, right? To right. <laughs> go into something, yeah, like that. Yes, and I think one of the things that the tarot does is it re it's like working a muscle. You're working your intuitive muscle. And when you do that daily, you really strengthen your intuitive process. And you do get to see a little further down the road. And I think that's pretty awesome. But in the world we're in, It can also be a little scary because it definitely heightens your third eye. There's a vulnerability in that arena that's a little fragile for the day-to-day -day world. So I feel yeah. when I was doing it, I, I really was starting to feel the intuitive process clarifying my world, the, how I was seeing things, but it really was a reach further that I was, when, when I started to deal with the, the cancer stuff, I just, I was like, I don't, I don't want to reach that far right now. <laughs> I think I'm going to just stay yeah. right here on my day-to-day -day existence. <laughs> exactly. And I think when that's kind of that intuitive opening or third eye awakening doesn't compare together with a learning how to hold yourself and how to protect yourself and set boundaries. And, um, you know, it can be super overwhelming because all of a sudden there's this whole world of energy yes. that kind of washes in. And this is something I hear around me so much and also something I recognize for myself when I was just starting out, you know, all of a sudden you feel and you hear and yes. um, it's a lot. And I think, yeah, it's it's so important when you start working with those things too to make sure to kind of like have those supports around you as well with people, you know, kind of letting you know, like, okay, but there is, you know, it's not just opening yourself up and the world comes washing in. Like you can also protect yourself and hold yourself. And this yeah. is so important. And I feel like, you know, as popular as the tarot is getting, you almost need someone or some way of having guidance Like, like I felt that when I was getting, opening up those, um, those avenues, I just felt like I need, I need a container for this. I need somebody to help me find the proper container because this is powerful stuff. I don't know how to deal with some of it. And I think a lot of people yeah. feel that when they get into that realm. It's what religions are, are there for the best in the best way. 
they are those containers for those experiences. And they are, they have those, you know, priests that guide you through that experience and then help you when you encounter these very frightening things oftentimes because they're, they're, they're huge. <laughs> yeah. A guide is, is there to be like, yeah, I've been through that and this is, this is normal or this is how you get to the other side of that. So 100%. It's it's the way that we're living right now as well, right? Like we're no longer in communities with the the elders there to guide us and, you know, to kind of like take us apart and be like, hey, I see you're struggling. Like, you know, just like you were saying, like, I've been through this. Let me help you. Let me guide you. And yeah, I think as well, like you were sharing before, of course, seeking out those mentors in the in the art world, but then exactly. also seeking out those mentors in the spiritual world to surround yourself with people that are always, that know more, never be the person that's, that's by themselves, right? Like find your community and yes. find those mentors as well. I, and I think that a lot of people are doing that. I see it on Instagram where they're pulling their cards and they're talking about it. There, there is a community there for it. It is one way of doing it. I think a physical connection, like being in the room with someone else that is doing this is huge. And someone who knows you, like really knows you, is a great way. But it's, yeah, this is the tool. This is it. But it's, you know, it needs... <laughs> It would be great to then take it into a place where that tool is held within a, a small-ish group community that you trusted and you could, you know, move through these really powerful, amazing things. It's a beautiful side note to make, you know, to to kind of have that astrofix there of, you know, like make sure that you are held and supported and not alone on the path because you don't have to be. There's so many people out there doing all this stuff. and For sure. We're born storytellers. I, I feel that, you know, the tarot mm. just, uh, it, it's there because that is the avenue we choose to express ourselves in. We, we enjoy stories. We enjoy creating them and being a part of them. That is the human experience. And we've done that since we, I think, since we left Eden. You know, I mean, when we walked away from just being amazing energy and started creating these narratives, then um, we needed that structure if for, for good reason. How do you think kind of spiritually has the tarot found you? You were sharing a little bit about it before, you know, kind of like it has to, it has to find you. How do you feel is that relationship for you? Yeah, I, uh, I think it's been fantastic in exploring deeper questions that were sort of not I didn't really put a lot of thought into. I grew up Catholic. My whole education was Catholic. I, I went from a Catholic grade school to a Catholic high school to a Catholic college. And um, being so into that system, you know, it's all around you. You're not thinking, in an odd way, you're not thinking about it. It's just happening to you and you're going through the whole thing. But I found it kind of hypocritical. The dogma was very, I didn't see a lot of connect between the scripture and then the actions of the people telling you about the scripture. So I sort of drifted away from that. But, and, and when I drifted away, I didn't replace it with anything. I didn't, I mean, I replaced it with art, I suppose, mm. but not really uh, that kind of communal experience of being in a group that is there to worship. And when you're there to worship, it's a time outside of time. So that experience of time being slowed down and tactile was gone because I was 
now. Well, it, it wasn't gone. It, it, it drifted into art. And it, it had an appropriate moment for me in that experience. But the tarot allowed me to go back into that world of spirituality without feeling hypocritical. Like there was, I wasn't smirking when I approached the, the content, which I began to do with my spirituality. And like from, I, I was so dismissive of it when I left that any talk about it, I didn't want to hear, or it was just, I would smirk at it. Or so it was coming back into the spirituality with a different heart, one that was willing to be accepting and open to the idea of a spiritual existence in my day-to-day life. And that was so um, validating to let that experience come out again in this legitimate way, which sounds weird to say legitimate, but um, it was it was an ability to recapture my spirituality and not feel, I don't know, jaded by it. Which is one thing I've yeah. noticed in the younger generation is this ability to hold your spirituality and your professional, I guess, or your day-to-day existence and life and desires in the same hand, where you're not dismissing the spirit, the spiritual. So while you're doing your, um, you're bringing it into your daily life and what you want to do in the world and talking about it, that you don't feel one diminishes the other. And I think that's the ideal experience for me for a long time, talking about spirituality would, I'd feel like I was diminishing whatever I was like, people would think I was a flake or they, they wouldn't want to know about my spirituality, how it infused into the work I was doing. Or when I was feeling spiritual, I wouldn't want to, you know, talk about my professional stuff coming in. Like, so yeah, I think it's taken a long time, but I'm finally feeling like I can hold them both in the same hand. And that's, that really had a lot to do with the tarot. And that's a gift. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's beautiful. Kind of a reclamation. Very much so. Yeah. With a more yeah. cardinal significance, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. I would love to ask you one more question, which is a question that I ask all my guests. And that is if you would want to share either a book, a person, an artist, a show, a source of inspiration that really has formed your work and something that you want to share if people want to dive deeper into your and kind of your lineage yeah. Well, you know, very, very early on, um, when I was when I was in college, I d- did a lot of, I majored in English and journalism. I took a class in Russian, South American, and German literature, which was a crazy combination. <laughs> it was a fantastic <laughs> teacher. The Russian literature was, oh, so spiritual and deeply, deeply fantastic with their understanding of the the natural world and just the way that they were so earth-loving. It was beautifully poetic. And then the South American literature was so <laughs> surreal. And they had a way of embracing the fantastic and the phenomenal in this everyday way that was so unbelievably awesome. It just made me believe not believe in miracles, but like, I just loved that flight of, that they took. They just took those flights. 
And then the German literature, I really sort of narrowed in on Thomas Mann. His one book that I've read probably five or six times, Magic Mountain, The Magic Mountain, was so unreal. It was a spiritual journey in and of itself. And it's a time travel mm. book. It's really about time travel, though it's a very... Have you ever read it? I think I have read about it. So I haven't read it, but I, like you said the name and I was like, wait, that sounds very familiar. Now you're explaining. I'm like, yes, this is, I've been wanting to order this book. Get it. The, the first time I read it, <laughs> I, I was like, oh, this is a great book. And then I, I put it down, you know, it was just whatever. Second time I read it, I was on a photo shoot and I was helping a friend do um, some styling. And I, and before I left for the shoot, I had gotten so into the book in this, like I was suddenly getting what, what he was saying. And it got to this point in the book where um, he's at the sanitarium in Switzerland and it's a seance that's taking place. I was so riveted by that scene and I was sitting down by the pool and I was on a lounge chair and all of a sudden at the most intense part of that scene, the screen door jumped off the track by the pool and fell. It, it, it was like the energy <laughs> <laughs> and for no reason, it was bizarre. And and the energy that was in that novel was insane. Yeah, I I highly recommend The Magic Mountain. And then there's also um, a woman that is creating work today, Sophie Strand. Have you heard of her? No. Oh, beautiful, beautiful work. And she is working with the natural world through storytelling that is mm. so, everything she writes, I'm just blown away by. It's so beautiful. She's on Instagram, check her out, follow her, become her Patreon. <laughs> she just does incredible, <laughs> incredible, beautiful work. And so I've really been a fan of hers lately. But yeah, I, I would say- Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, Russian literature, South American, I could probably give you a list of some of the best ones. And, uh, and then Thomas Mann. Anything he's written is amazing, but the Magic Mountain is like mm, the Holy Grail. <laughs> oh, this is my sign. Like, I'm getting the book. This Get is it. the next read on my list. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love it. So, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything that you want to leave the audience with? Any projects you're working on or things that you want to share for people to find your beautiful work? We are doing an a, a art print project at the studio right now. So yeah, we are exploring. This is actually new because it's um, it's more stylistic than the other projects we've worked on. So it's more expressive and loose and I'm having a blast with it. They're woodcuts. So um, mm. it's been a lot of fun just sort of getting, using my old sculpture fabrication skills and getting into the process. I love process. So that's been, you know, as much fun as creating the art. <laughs> so yeah, that's what we're working love on. This. And we hope that uh, that'll probably, you know, I've had to stop working on it because we're sort of in the middle of fulfilling a Kickstarter from last year. And it's, we've lost our studio manager. Yeah, that's been kind of a drag. Um, Nick's own studio started <laughs> doing really well. So great for Nick, but he was like Spock. And I miss my Spock. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm trying to do Spock's job and it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm, thank uh, you I'm sure a lot of people are going to 
look you up. I've, I had so much fun. Thank you so much you for too, being Chris. here and sharing your story. Yeah, <laughs> let's, let's keep in contact. And I'd love to see your work, more of your work. 